we're grateful uh, for your kingship. We're grateful that you rule and reign even now. So in our time uh, that we've gathered corporately this morning, uh, it's our aim, as we celebrate on this Palm Sunday, to crown you as our king, uh, both now and forever. Uh, and we ask that you'll receive the glory, the honor, and the praise that you're due. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Well, uh, I think Mark put it aptly this morning. I said, how are you doing this morning? And he said, I'm celebrating. I said, what are you celebrating? And he said, it's Holy Week. It's the week before Easter. What's not to celebrate? I went, yeah, that's a good point, Mark. Let's, let's celebrate. So we're celebrating this morning, and it's good to be together. Um, and uh, we're going to, um, I, I really went back and forth on this because we're kind of charting our way through Acts. And it would make a whole lot of sense to pause and go to the Easter narrative. But I also didn't want to lose momentum in Acts. And um, all that to be said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today, and uh, I think the kingship of Jesus that we celebrate on Palm Sunday is applicable, and I hope that we can see that together today. But as, as Jordan Lang and I got together and dreamed about what Holy Week could be and, and dreamed about where God might be inviting us to go, um, and we looked at the stories in front of us, one of the things that we saw over and over again in this week and next week and the story of the cross is we just kept hearing and seeing this word, invitation. Um, and so uh, I want to camp on a couple invitations this morning. And then this week, as you guys go home with your packet of how to engage with, with yourself or your family and, and other families in our church this week, um, there's some invitations. Jordan talked about those. There's some invitations included in there, and I, I hope that you guys will engage with that. Um, and then on Easter, I think we're going to see a couple more invitations. And uh, the thing about invitations is that they necessitate a response. Like when you get an invitation, uh, it requires a response. Now, not responding to an invitation is a response in itself. Uh, and so when someone invites you to go somewhere or to do something, uh, not responding to that invitation is saying, I'm not going to go, uh, go that, to that place or do that thing with you. Uh, and so invitations necessitate a response. And so as we kind of look at the invitations before us uh, over the next couple weeks, um, it's my hope that we'll find stuff in maybe a little bit of all the people. We're just, it's all these people in the Acts narrative um, that we see these invitations, both from the Holy Spirit and from God and Jesus working in their lives. Um, and as I've prepared, I've found myself in bits and pieces. So it's not like this invitation is for this type of person. I think there's an element of that. Um, anyways, let me, let me read our main passage for today. Okay? <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to that chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So Philip came up to him and, and to sit with him. And this is the passage uh, of scripture that the Ethiopian man, the, the eunuch, was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. 
And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, uh, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or, or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And then when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Uh, obviously, there's a, there's a couple different people involved in our story <laughs> today. And the first one uh, that I want to look at, there's an invitation extended to Philip. Okay, uh, and, and Philip is one of the, the church fathers, one of the guys who is kind of helping establish this newly formed family. And through the ministry and the work of Philip, things are thriving. Not through Philip alone, but he's one, one part of the family that is ministering and serving and helping out. Uh, verses 1 through 3 says, this is right after we talked about last week, the killing of Stephen. Um, and Stephen was killed, martyred for his faith. Things aren't always going to go uh, all rosy. We talked about that last week. And it says, on that day, a great persecution rose out against Yeah, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for, for them. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And then in verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the, the good news of the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he, to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits came out of the many, and the many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And verse, uh, verse 8 says, so there was great joy in that city. And so at the beginning of this chapter, we see Philip engaging in what we would call really, really fruitful and effective gospel-centered ministry. Like Philip is where the action is at. He's in Samaria. He's having this, uh, this really fruitful time of ministry. And keep in mind, we talked about this last week, this fruitful time of ministry is in the midst of intense persecution uh, from religious leaders who were not on board with the way, the way of Jesus. Um, and so Philip is in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, going about his business, doing the thing that uh, God had asked of him. And Jesus, we remember Jesus' command in Acts chapter 1, go and be my witnesses. And so they were witnessing. Verse 4 says, as they were scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. So they're just like what, what the enemy may be intended for evil. It says that in Genesis, God meant for good. So like they were trying to persecute them. They're like, hey, just scatter and get out of here. Um, we don't like the things you're saying. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll take the gospel with us. And in fact, it's actually gonna multiply and go further places than it would in this time of peace. And, uh, and so it's, they have this conversion we see in the next few verses of Simon the sorcerer. And he's like, yeah, I kind of want all this thing that's happening. We get that story. And so there's this, I, I wanna emphasize, this really effective time of ministry in Samaria. And then in verse 26, 
Philip hears, hears the spirit, kind of whispers some stuff in his ear. Uh, it says, an angel of the Lord said, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And if I am putting myself in Philip's shoes, I'm probably like holding up a big old timeout right now because I'm like, okay, spirit, great. I know that you're part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, that you're infinite in wisdom and all this stuff, but do you see what's happening over here? Do you see this like fruitful and effective ministry that's taking place? And, uh, and the Spirit's like, yeah, yeah, it's great, it's wonderful. Now go to the desert road. Go to the place that's far off. Go to the place that isn't in the central hub of culture. Go to the place that leads from Jerusalem to Africa. Jerusalem to Gaza. See, Philip was faithful in his calling. And I think every one of us would argue that he was seeing results. There was conversions. There was signs and wonders. There was healings. There was stuff happening. So why would he pull himself away from this like, cultural hub of Samaria and this place where they were seeing results take place? See, Philip sensed this invitation to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And it's a reminder for me and it's a reminder for us that it is essential, essential, meaning we cannot live without it. It is essential for us to be sensitive and listening to whispers from the Holy Spirit. We know the end of the story, but in Philip's, uh, in Philip's head right now, um, He's like, God, I, I'm having to put my trust in you because this doesn't, this doesn't, this isn't logical to me. This doesn't make sense. And I think, I think for us this morning, the, the invitation that I'm sensing is, is that there might be something that we're asked to do. That we get this like inkling deep down in our souls and it doesn't make sense. You can't, you can't logic your way out of it. You can't like, you know, like things are, things are good over here and then I'm feeling this, this tug and this pull to do this other thing and it's, I'm just not understanding. Your life feels a little bit off kilter because you're like, I can't, I can't make sense of what is being whispered to me, but I think the invitation is that's the whole, that might be the Holy Spirit inviting you to a deeper level of trust. And, and who knows what the outcome will be. The outcome of Philip being faithful to the, the whispers of the Holy Spirit, to the, to the still small voice speaking to his soul, is the gospel being proclaimed to Africa. I read the thing. We know, like, he gets converted uh, to, to the way. He was, he was a convert to Judaism, taking a step there, and he's like, no, let me explain the good news of the Messiah, the good news of Jesus to you, and he's like, yeah, let me get baptized, let's, let's do this thing, let me go all in, and the end result was then him going back and sharing the good news with, uh, with the queen of Ethiopia, and flourishing and spreading there, but this is a really hard truth for us because the, the way of the world and the way of Jesus are not compatible with one another. 
When I say the way of the world, what I mean is the, the way that, that leads to death and the way of Jesus, the way that leads to life. There are not things that we can oftentimes lay over one another, but this makes it really hard for us because we live where in the world. And so there's going to be things that we're asked to do from God, both from Scripture and from whispers of the Holy Spirit, that are nonsensical. That is like you're, we're supposed to model and, and frame our lives in a way that, I, I said it before, if the, only, if the only thing in our lives that looks different from uh, someone not following Jesus is our attendance here on Sunday mornings, we're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. And so our lives should be modeled in a way that is just completely countercultural to the world that we see around us. And so we might be asked to do stuff that doesn't always make sense. Uh, it's some things I thought of. And again, it's, it's simple, but it's countercultural. What if, what if instead of upgrading your car next time it's time to like make a jump, what if you just like kind of camp out on it for a little bit? And instead of, instead of making that jump in car, what if, you, what if you choose to, what if God's speaking to your heart right now of like, yeah, you got a car and it's, it's paid off, it's time to upgrade. What if instead of selling it, you use that money to like, to sow gospel seeds or to live generously or, or to help out the orphans and the widows and, and to do things that like, you talk to people, this doesn't make sense, that type of generosity. It doesn't make sense because our world is so self-focused. What if, what if you found someone like literally on the street and you took them in and you were like, yeah, I'm going to be a safe haven for someone who just needs a home right now. And I've got an extra bedroom and, and people are like, whoa, what about the safety of your family? And I'm like, sure, use wisdom, use discernment. But it doesn't make sense for us to open our lives up in a way that is, again, completely countercultural. I tried to not make all of these money focused, but like, what if you just got a big bonus at work? And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. We could put in an in-ground pool. Uh, is that National uh, Christmas Vacation? Is that what he does with it? He gets the Jelly of the Month Club. Uh, uh, we could put in a pool. Or we could, uh, Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, they estimate somewhere, I, I, don't quote me on this, but I feel like the number, I, I, start, I cut my teeth as a missions pastor, and the number that's coming to mind is like thirty dollars to $40,000 can, can put you really far on the way to, an, to a, a Bible translation. And this is a Bible translation, not like uh, a Bible translation where like, I got the NIV, and then we got the ESV. This is a Bible translation that is, uh, is going into a language that it has never existed in before. That the good news of Jesus can go forth for the first time to a people who are hurting and hopeless and need it desperately. What if you see that person in your life and, and everyone around them says they are completely unfriendable, they're exhausting, they take, 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 and, and it's, it's hard, and I don't know if we can do it anymore, and, and your nonsensical thing that doesn't make sense is like, yeah, I'm going to take them out to coffee. We'll go get lunch. We'll have them over for dinner uh, once a week. And yes, it's hard and it's exhausting, but the gospel demands it of us. The gospel demands stuff of us that doesn't make sense to the world around us. You know something that's completely countercultural in our world today? I was just talking to, to Ray about this. We love to be busy. 
we just love, uh, we just love to like do, 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 do. Uh, what if the thing that doesn't make sense is you're like, I'm going to uh, take a pause out of my day uh, and I'm just going to do nothing except bask in the presence of Jesus. What if instead of filling your free time with uh, all the stuff that you want to do, what if you're like, hey, a day a week, I'll, I'll, I'll go after school over to the Hope Center. I'll, I'll serve over there. I'll, I'll be there from 2.30 to 4.30. Uh, I'll serve. I'll love. I'll show, uh, I'll show God's uh, grace and mercy um, to, to kids who he loves deeply. They're like, well, yeah, but like, did you, don't you have like a family? Yeah, I got a family. I'm not abandoned. It was one afternoon a week. It's so countercultural to give of ourselves. And so there's often stuff that we're going to be asked to do that, that doesn't make sense to the world around us. And frankly, probably doesn't make sense to us. We're never going to have all the answers. But I imagine Philip going, okay, you want me to, go to, you want me to leave fruitful and effective ministry? You want me to go to the desert road? Uh, okay, I guess. I, what else am I supposed to do? So he does it. And there's, again, incredible results. We, but we have to mark ourselves as Jesus followers. We have to have our primary metric be not effectiveness or, or fruitfulness or outcomes, but our primary metric is have we been faithful? Have we been obedient to what God is asking us to do? We can be so quick to judge the direction from the Spirit and go, nah, it can't be the Spirit because that doesn't make sense to me. But instead, the invitation for us as the Phillips are to trust the Spirit. And how do we trust the Spirit? We listen to the Spirit. How do we hear the Spirit? We spend time with the Spirit of God. Slow, unhurried, unstructured time where we sit in God's presence and say, God, who are you? Who have you created me to be? What are you doing and how can I partner with it? But that's not something that happens instantaneously. If you, uh, on any given morning, Amanda or I, if one of us says, rough night, can you, can you pick up coffee and bring it back before either one of us goes to work? Um, we don't have to say any more than that. So if I go pick up coffee, I get a, a small dark roast, nothing in it, and a medium snickerdoodle latte with oat milk with three quarters of the pumps of, of syrup in it. And I'll let you guess whose is whose. <laughs> it's not something we tell each other every single time, though. Uh, because we, we know, we know what, uh, and how do we know? We have, spent, this is such a stupid, silly thing, but we spent time with each other. Like, we've been around one another, and, and if she goes for me, uh, and, and she goes, uh, oh, uh, she knows what I want enough, that if she comes, comes to the counter and says, hey, just give me a small dark roast, um, they say, oh, we're actually out of dark roast. Her next response is, okay, just give me the darkest thing you have. He doesn't like, he doesn't like light roast. 
Like he, she, we've spent enough time with one another, and it goes, it goes far beyond coffee orders, but we know one another because we've spent time with one another. And so if you're in this place, like how, how do I know what the Holy Spirit is inviting me to do? It, it's as simple as just pausing and spending time with the lover of your soul, the creator of all things, the God who breathed everything into existence and sustains it here and now. I see so many people in, in the faith that I admire for this very reason because it seems, I always, I always joke about my like heroes of the faith personally, not like, like I've got heroes of the faith like Thomas Manton, the, uh, 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 Puritan from the 1600s. I love reading his stuff. It's so good. But like heroes of the faith that like I've talked to personally. Uh, and uh, the thing I find myself saying is it feels like they have a direct line to God. Like they've got this, they can just like, like, hey, God, what do you, what are, what are you need today? Um, and, but what I've found is that is, I say rarely, not rarely, uh, what I found, that's never an overnight experience. It is built uh, on a life of faithful abiding and obedience to the Spirit of God. I've told you guys about uh, my pastor, uh, Jim Martin, before, who, who pastored me. I mean, he, he's gone to be with the Lord, him and his wife, Carolyn, um, but uh, just when I was early on in min- uh, ministry, took me under his wing, loved me, um, served faithfully in the local church for his entire career, and then in retirement, um, retired and then continued to, to, to like show up to the office most days and, and love us. And he was a great guy. And I remember going to his house one time, and he, uh, we were sitting down, and he was just showing me his journals. Uh, and this guy wakes up every morning, woke up every morning at at 4.30 and just spent time with the Lord. Just spent time, and he showed me his prayer journals where he's like, this is the scripture I meditated on, and this is is the things I took before the Lord, and this is what I, I heard him whispering to me. And he had notebooks and notebooks. This wasn't like a, I just felt like I needed to one day, and so I I woke up, and that's when I got the download from the Lord. It was a, a systematized day-by-day occurrence. And so if you're like, I want that, God. I want, I want the download. I want the whispers from your spirit where I get to go be a part of your mission of redemption and reconciliation. All I can say to you is, okay, start, start today. Start today. And then tomorrow, set, up, set aside some more time. And then the next day, set, set aside time again. And the next day, set aside time again. And the more, that you, more time you spend with God, and I don't mean like, there's nothing wrong with it, but in our, in our uh, Western evangelical culture, uh, a lot of times time with God means, like, I'm going to read through a quick Devo, and, which is fine. That's a beautiful thing, and they're wonderful tools. Uh, but I think this is a step beyond that where we're going, I'm, I'm taking some time to pause and do nothing except just be with the creator of all things. The invitation to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then when he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, what does he do? <clears throat> the Spirit says again, go to that chariot and say, say, stay near it. And when he does, he's met with this Ethiopian guy. And this isn't just some random guy from Ethiopia. This is a person of influence and power and official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. So you're in charge of the treasury. You're, you're in cahoots with the queen. It's power wealth, it's authority, you got you got everything going 
for you. But what I love about this interaction, when he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, what I love, and I think this gives us a really good model for uh, crossing racial barriers, crossing, crossing uh, the, bar- the increasing barrier uh, like sexual identity and things like that, I think this gives us a really good outline for that. Because what we see uh, is he goes up to this really powerful person. And he doesn't bend uh, scripture, he doesn't bend what he's feeling like from the Spirit because he's like, oh, this is like, this is a really important person. And so if we get in good with the important person, then we'll be able to really see the gospel flourish. Um, and so he's not like, he, he's not just flimsy in his interaction with him. But at the same time, he doesn't make him feel terrible because of his personal life. I, I'm not going to get into the anatomy of things, but he's recorded in scripture as a eunuch which means there was some sort of process that took place. And a lot of times, um, uh, especially in, in, in things of that nature, if you're a eunuch and you've been like castrated on purpose, uh, they really trusted those people. It makes sense that he was in the treasury because they were like, we don't have to worry that there's something going on on the side. You're only worried about uh, like making sure we can track and keep account of things. And so we see Philip as he's engaging with the Ethiopian man. He's not bending his will uh, to just appease the Ethiopian man. But at the same time, he's not piling it on and heaping it on like, you are such a terrible person. Because that's not how God talks about people. We, We shouldn't be talking about people like that either. He does this really intricate dance, and I assume that this balance is met because... He's being sensitive to the Spirit. He's allowing the Spirit to lead him. He's being filled, as he's allowing the Spirit to lead him, he's being filled with the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as he's led by the Spirit, he has this wonderful opportunity to engage him at the root point of his questions and explain the good news of Jesus to him. The scripture that he's reading in Isaiah goes on to say, so like he was crushed and he was pierced, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And in the end, the Lord will prosper his hand. That's, That's Isaiah 53, that's the gospel. That like he made, he put the sin, uh, he made the suffering servant, Jesus, an offering for our sins, but it's, it doesn't end with death. It ends with uh, seeing Jesus in, in the Lord's hand prosper. So the invitation from, from Philip is we're going to be sensitive to the Spirit. We're going to listen to the Spirit speaking to us, whispering to us. And we're going to do that through sustained time with him. And, and then we're going to find people who are asking questions. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But guess what? They are all over. We're going to find people who are asking questions. And we're going to take the gospel to those questions. Find people trying to make sense of the world, and we're going to take the gospel to those places. The invitation is sensitivity to the Spirit. But then we also see the Ethiopian man. He's coming back from uh, worshiping in Jerusalem. He's probably, like I said, a convert to Judaism. And he's, he's trying earnestly to kind of claw away at these questions that he has and trying to make sense of, of the scripture that he's reading, the world that he sees around him. And I think it's a beautiful picture of where our world is right now. 
Because they might not use uh, that type of language, but what they're looking for is the same thing. They're looking for spiritual things. Our world is, you could argue with me all day, but I believe our world is looking for spiritual things. Things that as they, uh, and what I mean by spiritual is uh, things that they can then order and fit the world that they're seeing around them and go, what does it look like to fit this into the framework of my experience? How can I justify uh, my experience and make sense of the confusing that we see uh, things that offer life and hope and freedom. Uh, and if you look around at our culture today here in America, worldwide really, but if you look in our culture, uh, people are selling solutions left and right. There are YouTube personalities, some uh, particularly, in my opinion, evil and deplorable. You got got guys like Andrew Tate trying to go like, this is what it looks like uh, to be a man, and this is how you can order your world, and it's like misogynistic, and it's ugly, and it's gross, and it's evil, and, and you, got, you got people who, who are, uh, again, these YouTube gurus who are saying like, this is how you make sense of the world. This is how you structure your life. You have uh, social media who, who are saying, this is what it means to have a full and fulfilled Life. You have authors who are writing books left and right. This is what it means to have a full and fulfilled life. You have political activists all around us going, this is what the fullest expression of life looks like. Every person, every person, I, I promise you, without fail, they might use different language, but at the end of the day, they're all trying to make sense of the world around them. And I would argue that means they have this hunger inside of them that is uh, created by God for spiritual things. They might not use that language, but they're hungering for spiritual things. And maybe, maybe this morning that is you. Maybe this morning that's you, that no matter what way you direct your life for, you try and make sense of the world around you and what is happening and who you are, you feel like you're just constantly coming up short. And in fact, I, it could be really easy uh, for, for it to sound like I want to punish you because you haven't searched in the right places. And I don't want to do that because I, really, I think it's a really holy thing and a really admirable thing that you're like trying to make sense of the world around you. I think those are holy ambitions to go, who am I? Like, those are the questions that every human has. And good on you for not giving up in the midst of that search. Because that is an exhausting search. Like, maybe, maybe I'll try this out. Oh, that doesn't quite fit. Maybe I'll try this out. Oh, that doesn't quite work. And, and the fact that you might be here, like, still searching and trying to find, good on you for not giving up. <clears throat> and here's what I think the Ethiopian finds as he tries to make sense of the world around him. See, I believe that we were created for a relationship with God, and when that relationship is absent, it makes us, uh, it, it makes us sense for us to try and fill it with something. Because God is so good, the absence of God, uh, I think, creates this deep hunger in our lives. 
Now, I don't typically like to use the, the phrase, and I've heard it, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just like to steer clear of it, like a, a God-sized hole in my heart. Uh, I, heard it, I heard it say one time, I heard it said one time that um, language like that assumes that God is not active in your life prior to you receiving him. And I think that's a really good analogy, but I do think there's something about like, I'm hungering and thirsting for the more to make sense of the world around me. And so um, we try to plug that space in our lives with everything. And I think, I don't think I'm going out of bounds here, but I think the Ethiopian might be in a little bit of a similar situation. Like he had the wealth over the treasury for the the queen of Ethiopia, had access to money. And at the end of the day, he went, that isn't enough, I'm still searching. I don't want to put too much on it, but there is an element of trying sexuality. It doesn't say whether it was a choice of his for the castration or it was forced upon him because he's like, hey, you're going to work in the treasury, and so this is something we're taking away from you. Um, But he tried that, and there was still this hunger and longing for something more. That didn't do it. He had status and connections with his connections with the queen, and still that wasn't enough, still hungering, and that wasn't doing it. But what Philip tells him is what I want to say today, is that Jesus is the answer to your searching. That's, I mean, Palm Sunday is, is I saw a, a, not an article, a post this morning from Pastor Rich Vilatis. Uh, he's over in New York, and he's talking about Palm Sunday and, and uh, uh, why it's relevant that they're waving palm branches as Jesus rides into town. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. We sang that this morning. Um, uh, and what an apt description for today. God's people... Uh, the Israelites would have experienced uh, the Maccabean Revolt, which is where a new emperor came to power and uh, just completely desecrated the temple, was doing terrible stuff in it, uh, sacrificing. And then on the altar of God was sacrificing pigs, which is like a big no-no for Jewish people. Um, and, and so had desecrated the temple, and you, got, uh, you get Judas Maccabees, who is... Um, uh, like leads this revolt and overtakes the temple. And this is like one of the central stories to the Jewish people. Overtakes the temple and there was an altar, there was a a lamp lit on the temple and there was only enough oil for for one day, but guess how long the oil lasted? It lasted eight days. Well, this is an aside, this is where Hanukkah comes from. The eight candles. They're remembering the Maccabean revolt. And, uh, And so Jesus is riding into town, and all of, uh, this is what the Post talked about, all of the people are waving these palm branches that were a central part uh, of Maccabean imagery. And they're waving palm branches, Hosanna, 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 save us, God, save us, save us. They had set Jesus to be a person that was going to save them in the ways that they anticipated. They thought he was going to come lead another revolt against the Romans. They thought he was going to be this military conquering king. And so they're going, save us, save us, save us. And Jesus goes, I will, but not in the way that you anticipate. This is where our story uh, of the Ethiopian man meets the story of Palm Sunday. The, The Ethiopian man is like, I want God. 
I'm searching for him, and I've searched for him here, and I've searched for him there, and I've searched for him this way, and I've searched for him that way. And the invitation for him is, is to go lay all of that down. All it takes is surrender and a willingness to say, I've tried about just about everything. I've tried everything that the world has to offer, and it doesn't work. And so I'm choosing in this moment to put my hope in Jesus, to, to hope that he is who he says he is, to hope that he is alive like Scripture says, and he, and he is still alive, and he defeated death uh, by his resurrection. Hope that he is with me in the darkest of circumstances. Hope that he can take this jumbled mess of a life and make it new. Hope that he can redeem what is far off in my life. Hope that he can reconcile what is broken. And just like that, it just clicks with the Ethiopian man. He's like, let's do it. I'm in. I want it all. And his next question is, uh, is, is there anything stopping me from being baptized? Can we just like, can I, can I make this a public declaration? Because what, what baptism is, is a public declaration of an inward reality. It's the picture of what God has done in your heart. And, and the Ethiopian man is like, God has made me new. I, I'm trusting in the work of Jesus. Is there anything stopping me uh, from proclaiming this for a world to see? And Philip's like, uh, no. Let's do, let's do it. Let's stop and go down to the river, and, and he gets baptized. So this morning to the one searching, trying, grasping at all the straws to, to find what will satisfy the deep, deepest longings of your heart, I have the answer for you, and it's Jesus. Let's surrender to Jesus. So the same question that the Ethiopian asked, I asked you, what? What's stopping you? What's stopping you from that surrender? What's stopping you from going, no, I've tried it all. I, 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 I've got nothing else. I can't make sense of the world. What's stopping you? The invitation we see from Philip is uh, sensitivity to the Spirit. An invitation that I think we see from the Ethiopian is surrender. I want uh, us to kind of dwell on these things. We're going to sing a couple more worship songs. So I want us to dwell on these things. This invitation of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And this invitation of surrender to the God of creation. Father, uh, we're grateful for the work of Jesus. We're grateful uh, for the invitation to surrender, for the invitation to hear and listen to the Spirit of God working in us. Lord, will you help uh, now through the power of your Spirit prick our hearts, give us uh, an increased capacity for sensitivity to how you're speaking uh, and working in our lives now. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.